Welcome to the 241st episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host, Randy Winograd. In this edition of the podcast, our topics are an overview of Patrick's weekend predictions, our look at week 16 of the NFL, a continuation of our review of college football bowl game action, our weekly look at the NBA and college basketball. So let's jump right in with a look back at Patrick's weekend predictions, which are posted every Thursday on our website, 4thand24.com. We will start in the NFL, where Patrick went 2-2 two and two with his weekend predictions. Turning our attention to basketball, Patrick went 3-1 and one with his NBA predictions, and also 3-1 and one with his college basketball predictions. And at NCAA college football bowl action, Patrick went 3-7 and seven with his predictions before Tuesday's games. Uh, that brings Patrick to a combined 11-11 and 11 for the week, or weekend, bringing him to a 926 and 607 overall record, a 60.4% winning percentage. Patrick, your thoughts on your weekend and bowl game predictions? Well, you tried to correct yourself by saying weekend instead of week, but it technically actually was the week-long predictions because uh, that encompassed all the bowl games um, that I picked over the last week dating back to last Tuesday. I realized that um, when I put only four in the predictions, I just do that for the graphic mainly and to highlight featured games. But then when I go back and do the record, I add in extra games that I actually predicted because I predicted all the bowl games on the website. Um, so then I realized that I should probably just, you know, throw them in the record so that it's not confusing where, why I have 10 extra games added on to uh, the regular weekend prediction schedule. So that's where those extra games came from. Uh, and the actual games that I featured, I think I was like 0-4 or something like that, but it's still going to go on. They're all going to go on the record anyway the same. So uh, it's better to keep them all in the same category. Um, but yeah, it was a weird week of bowl games. I think so far I'll, I'll start there. The The favorites are 6-11 and 11, uh, overall, which is just not normal at all. Um, a lot of times I find myself picking underdogs because I think that, you know, everybody thinks they can outsmart Vegas, right? But um, it ends up going wrong. So this year I actually picked very, very straight up. I maybe picked one or two underdogs. And, you know, one of the underdogs I picked was Northern Illinois, and they won this weekend. But other than that, I don't think I picked maybe more than three or four maximum. And just all the underdogs are winning. So I guess I picked the wrong year to pick uh, very, very chalk with Vegas. But we'll see if that turns around by the end of bowl season. You never know if that's just um, early bowl game action that's hard to uh, kind of adapt to. We'll, we'll see what happens with that. But uh, in the other leagues, I did pretty well. Um, in the NFL, the Steelers beat the Bengals 34-11. to uh, I wasn't expecting that one at all. I had the Bengals winning that game, and the Steelers just came out and blew out the Bengals. They really were never in that game whatsoever. Um, that was a loss for me. The Dolphins beat the Cowboys 22-20. to It's just typical Cowboys stuff. Actually, both of these teams, though, the last two years have kind of been known for beating up on the really bad teams, never losing a game they shouldn't lose, but never winning a game uh, where it's tightly contested either. But uh, something had to give. One of these teams had to win this game. The Dolphins are the ones who won, and that is what I predicted. Uh, Joe Flacco had a great game against the Texans as the Browns won 36-22. Amari Cooper as well um, had like 265 receiving yards or something like that. Not fun to play against in fantasy, which we know from experience. Um, but look, the Browns, they just keep chugging along. It really doesn't matter what's going on with their quarterback situation. I should mention that C.J. Stroud didn't play this weekend either for the Texans, so it, it was backup against backup. But look, Joe Flacco's had playoff experience, and right now he's... Uh, he has some confidence, so I mean, the Browns might, you know, they might sneak up on a few teams in the playoffs. If teams aren't ready to deal with what they have on the defensive end, they probably will lose to them because that defense is really, 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 really good. It is really hard to score on them, and their offense hasn't really 
their offense really hasn't been that much worse than it was with Deshaun Watson, honestly. I, I, I hate to say it because you know that Deshaun Watson has a lot more talent at his age than Joe Flacco does at 38, but frankly, they might you might be able to look at numbers that might actually say the Browns have been better since Deshaun Watson is out, so I, I can't say anything about that because I, don't, I can't say that I've watched the Browns close enough to confidently say that, but it really does feel like they have been scoring more points, um, and they still are winning games, and that's the only thing that matters. Uh, and then you have the Ravens who beat the 49ers 33-19. I have overall thought that the Ravens are the better team uh, on the season. They've been my Super Bowl pick for a while since the Eagles started to slide, so like the last two and a half weeks, basically. Uh, but at the same time, I still didn't think they were going to go on the road uh, to Levi's and take the victory from the Niners. That was something that I didn't expect. Um, and the Niners, they were able to pull it off. Or, or Sorry, the Ravens, they were able to pull it off. Uh, they just completely destroyed the Niners, especially on defense. Brock Purdy threw four interceptions, got hit a few times late in the game, had to be taken out at the end. So the Ravens just did a great job. Their defense playing really, really physical. Their team playing really physical. Um, and not getting phased by the early game mistake with the safety because they did start that game down 2 to nothing, which obviously very odd score, but that is what happened. Um, in the NBA, I went 3-1. and one. The Timberwolves beat the Kings. I got that right. The Bucks beat the Knicks. I got that right. And the Celtics beat the Clippers. I got that one right. And the one I got wrong was the Lakers beating the Thunder. Um, all those games were December 23rd as the NBA didn't play on Christmas Eve. And then the Christmas games I didn't predict because actually the Bucks and the Knicks had a rematch, which was weird. Um, but... You know, some of the, some of those Christmas games, that they, they, they were good matchups before the season, but actually didn't end up being great matchups on paper during the season. Uh, I'm looking at the Celtics and the Lakers there. Um, and also the fact that the Clippers were on fire before that game. So there were some better matchups earlier in the week, and I decided to pick them instead. Because, you know, small market teams like Minnesota and like the, like the Sacramento Kings have actually had better seasons than, you know, teams like Dallas and Phoenix who were on there. Um, on Christmas Day, but might not have actually been the better teams. You know, that's always how it turns out on Christmas, though, because they schedule it before the season happens. Um, and then in college basketball, two overtime games are my predictions, but before the overtime games, two blowouts. Number 13, Illinois, beat Missouri 97-73. to Illinois is looking really, really good. They were kind of, it was supposed to be Purdue and Michigan State against the world in the Big Ten, but Illinois has made a really strong argument, not only just to be the number two team in the conference, but potentially the best team in the conference. I don't really think there's much of an argument against that right now, other than just Purdue's resume being ridiculous. But uh, then you have Mississippi State, who beat Rutgers 70-60. to uh, That was a neutral site game. And then Providence beat Butler 85-75 to in overtime, after Butler didn't foul while up three late in the game and let the game get to overtime. And then number 14, FAU, beat number four, Arizona 96-95 to in double overtime. That was the only game I got wrong this weekend, but that was a fun game. Um, just really high-paced action, high-scoring like you would expect from those two teams. Two of the more fun teams to watch in the country, although they might not be playing great competition throughout the year when you look at the state of the Pac-12 and the American. Um, just not great conferences this year. But regardless, those two teams had a little fun matchup there. Arizona played like four preseason-ranked teams in the last 10 days or something like that. Uh, they played Purdue. They played Alabama earlier this week, and then now they played this game. So they challenged themselves. Um, they ended up going 10-2 and two through that schedule, which is pretty good. FAU, same thing, honestly. They played a pretty good schedule after people kind of critiqued them last season. Uh, they went out and scheduled great teams, and they ended up picking up their first top 10 win of all time in program history. So they will take that on their resume and gladly walk into American Conference play uh, at, I think, 9-2 and two or 10-2 and two with a top 10 ranking. Um, but overall, a decent week in predictions if you 
kind of exclude those bowl games, and I think it'll turn around anyway once we get more volume of games. Okay, well, Patrick's predictions for next weekend will be posted, as always, on our website, 4thand24.com, on Thursday. Let's move on to our next topic, which is a look at NFL Week 16 action, and let's start with the closest games. This week was a very, very full slate, starting off with the Rams against the Saints on Thursday night football. I almost said Monday night football. Um, 30-22, to 22, the Rams won this game. Look, it's another game where... I think that's the exact same score as the last week's game as well, where the Rams actually had complete control of the game uh, and it wasn't really remotely close, but at the end they gave up enough points that it has to be on the closest games rather than most impressive. Once again, Rams need to clean that up because if they play better teams, they might actually be able to pull off miracles at the end of the game. Uh, when you're playing against Sam Howell and or Jacoby Brissett and then Derek Carr, they're not going to lead game-winning drives um, in you know short time frames, but you know, you go up against the Josh Allens of the world, even even a guy like Geno Smith, you know, even Jalen Hurts, you look up and down the NFC in terms of the playoffs, Dak Prescott, you don't want to be in this position against those types of teams. Um, so the Rams do need to start avoiding that. But regardless, a good win for the Rams is they get above 500 um, for really the first time in a while. They started the season three and six, uh, but now at eight and seven in pretty good playoff position if they can beat the Giants this weekend to get that ninth win. Um, in an NFC field that has a lot of teams just kind of mired in mediocrity um and then you have the bills they beat the chargers 24 to 22 that game uh was i believe on friday or on saturday yeah it was on saturday um it was a you know it was a good game the bills ended up needing a comeback at the end to actually come out with the victory over the chargers which is not something i expected um they were up they were up 21 sorry they were up 14 to 10 at the half and then they were up 21 to 13 at the end of the third quarter, but I believe the Bills did need a game-winning field goal to end up winning that game. So it was a little closer than it probably should have been um, for Buffalo, but at the same time, a win is a win. They're 9-6. and six. That's what they need to be at uh, in a tough AFC. They have finally started to hit their stride. Uh, then you have the Seahawks, who beat the Titans 20-17. The Seahawks had a long losing streak uh, for a large part of the season, and this was like another game they just could not afford to lose. Um, and they came up with 14 fourth quarter points to come back and take the victory to get to eight and seven as well, just like the Rams. Uh, and then you had maybe the arguably the most important game of the week, the Lions clinching the NFC North, beating the Vikings 30 to 24. It's the Lions first division title since 1993. Um, and it's well-deserved. You know, there was a lot of hype around this team coming into the year. When you looked at the quarterbacks in the division, you're looking at Jordan Love, you're looking at Kirk Cousins, and you're looking at Justin Fields and you're saying, wow. One of these quarterbacks has made a Super Bowl, and it's in Detroit. That's rare, uh, that being Jared Goff. And you look at, you know, all the weapons they have on offense, Amon Ross St. Brown, Sam Laporta, Jameer Gibbs, David Montgomery, uh, Jamison Williams even, who hasn't even had to do that much. Um, they have a lot of weapons. They're built to compete right now. Their line is great. Their defense is, has been good enough that they can sustain that production from their offense um, and they just, they deserve this division from the start of the year. They proved it when they went on the road week one and beat Kansas city. Um, so look, the lions just played a great season and they deserve this divisional title and they, I'm sure will be celebrating that. Um, and then you have the jets who beat the commanders 30 to 28. They almost choked this game. It was 27 to seven at the half. It should not have taken as much effort as it did. Washington actually had the lead late and the jets needed a 54 yard field goal from Greg Zerline to win this game. It doesn't matter in the long run because the Jets are 6-9 and nine and the Commanders are 4-11, and 11, but, you know, the Jets would like to start having some things to be happy about for their fan base, and that hasn't really been too common. 
Um, but then you have the Packers. They got 2-7-8 and eight with the win over the Panthers. This game also closer than it should have been considering the Panthers are 2-12 and 12 and the Packers are fighting for a playoff spot. Um, but it's looking like the NFC has kind of started to take its own shape. It looks like the two teams from the NFC West, those being the Rams and the Seahawks, are kind of in a lot of a better position um, than the teams from the NFC North, those two being the Vikings and the Packers, to make the playoffs. They just also have better rosters on paper, so... And, and more trustworthy quarterbacks, frankly. Um, at least more experienced quarterbacks, especially when you're talking about uh, the Rams and the Seahawks against the Vikings in particular, um, when you're talking about talent. But look, the NFC is a close race. Uh, you never know who's going to pull it out. They are still only one game apart. Anything could happen. Um, but then you have the Dolphins. They, I believe, or they had already clinched their play. Or no, they did. They clinched their playoff spot this week with this victory over the Cowboys. Despite the two teams having the same record, this is why I was confused. The Cowboys had clinched it earlier because the NFC uh, obviously has weaker wildcard teams as we talked about, but the Dolphins did clinch that playoff berth uh, now that they're at 11-4. and four. They do have one game left against the Bills in their final two games, but as long as they can win one of their next two, they secure the division title uh, over the Bills, which would be a huge advantage as they would host their first playoff game and potentially be the one seed as uh, the Chiefs have kind of fallen off, and we'll talk about that later. Um, but then you have the Patriots who went on the road and beat the Broncos 26-23. to Chad Ryland has been pretty easily the worst kicker in the league all year long, but and even in this game, missed an extra point and a field goal. But he came back at the very end of this game to hit a 50-plus yard field goal to sink the Broncos' playoff hopes. They had a chance before this week. I, I have to say at this point, I, I just don't see it happening anymore. Um, and then when you want to talk about playoff hopes... The Chiefs are probably pretty easily going to walk away with this division, but they have looked really, really bad, uh, especially on offense for the last few weeks, and I just don't like what I'm seeing from them at all. They lost this game 20-14 to to the Raiders. The Raiders didn't even throw a pass after the first quarter, um, and the fact of the matter is, the Chiefs also didn't do anything offensively that was impressive, and they actually hurt themselves more on offense because they gave up they gave the offense gave up actually two touchdowns and the defense didn't give up anything. Um, the Raiders scored off of a scoop and score and a pick six in the second quarter. And that was all the scoring they had outside of two other field goals. So the chiefs just, they have to figure stuff out. They have to play cleaner. It's just been a really, really rough operation overall for them this season. Um, at this point, it's not even just the receivers. You cannot point at the defense. Frankly, the chiefs, while they have the reputation of being, you know, a very offensive heavy team, this team is built behind its defense. This is a defensive team that just also happens to have Patrick Mahomes on it. Um, but there's something about their line and just kind of overall how the play calling has been this year that they really have not been able to gel well on offense. And I don't really see that slowing down. So they're going to be needing to lean on their defense in the playoffs. And I don't think they're going to be going as far as they normally go now that they won't be playing at home because they've actually fallen out of home field, the, the race for home field. Although I think... They'll probably host their first round game as the four seed. Um, but beyond that, I don't think they'll be playing any more home games based on how good and how deep the AFC has been. Uh, then you have the Eagles. They won 33-25. This game also uh, probably shouldn't have been close. They were up 20-3 to at the half, but weren't quite able to close it out in a comfortable fashion. So it did end up being a one-possession game, but the Eagles got the easy victory over the Giants. Okay, well then let's move to the most impressive teams of Week 16. Well, speaking of home field, the Ravens are the reason why the Chiefs definitely will not be hosting a game this playoffs. They are at 12-3, and the Chiefs at 9-6, and meaning they cannot host. Uh, it'll be the first time Patrick Mahomes will play a road game uh, in his career, if they can even beat the team that they play 
um, out of the wild card, which I'm not sure is so automatic right now. But to get off of the Mahomes talk for a second, I talked about the Ravens earlier when we were talking about weekend predictions. This was just all-out dominance. They are proving why they deserve the best record in the league and why they deserve to be called the best team in the league. And Lamar Jackson proves over and over and over and over again why Atlanta 100% should have picked up the phone and traded for him rather than saying, yeah, we have Desmond Ritter, we're fine. Um, But look, that's a different conversation. Uh, The Ravens overall as a team just look better and better every week. They play with a chip on their shoulder and you can kind of tell. And they felt disrespected that they were underdogs and they really went out there and proved that they shouldn't have been underdogs in that game. And not only should they not have been underdogs, but it definitely shouldn't have been five and a half points. Um, But look, the Ravens played a great game this week. They are playing great on the season. As long as they can close out games in the fourth quarter, uh, they've had a lead in every single game in the fourth quarter. So as long as they can close those games out, they will win the Super Bowl this year. And I think that they have a pretty good chance. And right now they're my pick. Um, But speaking of teams that they have played recently and also teams that have been in the Super Bowl recently, the Buccaneers beat the Jaguars 30 to 12. The Jags have been in free fall for a pretty long time at this point. Um, I guess I should have mentioned that the Jags are probably going to be the four seed, not the Chiefs. But still, um, they've just been in free fall for a while. Good for the Buccaneers to pick up this victory. It's a pretty, they are going to win their division likely. So it probably won't matter in the end that they got a close win like this. But at the same time, it's a lot better to avoid that divisional tie scenario because the Falcons are sitting there at seven and eight. The Saints are sitting there at seven and eight. And you never know which one of those teams could end up um, tying them at the top. It was a big win to get, but at the same time, it looks like they'll be winning their division and playing as the four seed at home against the Cowboys right now is kind of, it, it's almost locked into that matchup that the winner of that division will play the Cowboys just because the Cowboys have a 10 and five record and the other two teams that or the other teams that are cont- contending have eight wins or seven wins. Um, but we'll see what happens. I don't think the Buccaneers would win that game. I don't think they'd have much of a chance in that game, honestly. Um, but at the same time, you never know what's the Cowboys. So Buccaneers looking good for now, and honestly, they're playing better as the season goes on, so maybe they could come up and sneak away a victory when people least expect it. Um, Then you have the Browns, who also have that kind of effect. Uh, I talked about this earlier with Joe Flacco and this defense. They easily could be a sneaky team this playoffs, even though they have a very strong record. Uh, They won't be entering as a divisional winner because the Ravens are probably going to walk away with that division, Uh, but at the same time, they could sneak up on a few teams. That defense is good enough to win them at least one game in the playoffs. Uh, then you have the Falcons. They beat the Colts 29-10. A bad loss for the Colts to suffer, who are in the hunt, really in the thick of things in the race. There are a lot of 8-7, and 7-8 and eight teams in the AFC, um, and even some 9-6 and six teams as well that are in that wildcard chase. So to get this loss to the Falcons was uh, not a great one for Indianapolis. Definitely a game that could have been winnable and that they really needed to win for their playoff hopes. And then you have the Steelers, who they also had a game that they needed to win, absolutely. Uh, after losing three in a row, uh, they looked so great in the playoff in the playoff picture at 7-4, and four, but then after the three straight losses, it was tough to see their path forward. Now that they've gotten this victory, we will see if they can use that as a springboard forward or not. All right, that wraps our look at the NFL for the week. Let's move to college football with some early bowl game action, Patrick. UTSA beat Marshall 35-17. to A lot of these games, you know, not really uh, teams that people watch too much. But, look, UTSA had a good season in their first year in the American. They were considered a contender there. And they ended up doing pretty well. Obviously, they didn't get over the hump and beat Tulane or SMU for that conference title. But they still had a pretty good season in their first year there. 
Uh, they were heavy favorites heading into this bowl game, and they just took care of business, honestly. There's not much to say about that game. Uh, speaking of not much to say about a game, South Florida beat Syracuse 45 to nothing. I don't have any commentary on this game itself, other than this is why third-string quarterbacks in bowl games shouldn't be favored in the game, um, and I probably shouldn't have picked Syracuse, but at the same time, South Florida played a great game uh, on defense, especially knowing that Syracuse would try to run a lot, and they shut that down. But for Syracuse fans, they're just happy with the haul they got in the transfer portal from Fran Brown becoming the new head coach. Uh, they got Kyle McCord. They got a bunch of players on defense as well. Uh, and they're looking really good heading into next year with a light schedule, as always, in the ACC. And speaking of the ACC, Georgia Tech beat UCF 30-17. to These two teams had very, very inconsistent up-and-down seasons. Arguably, this might have been one of the hardest games to pick um, of the entire bowl season, just because you just never know what these teams are going to do. Uh, Georgia Tech had games where, you know, they were in a close one with Georgia. They had games where they were putting up 50 on North Carolina, but then they also had games where they just got blown out. They had the game where they led at the end of the first half over Louisville and then just got blown out in the second half and ended up losing uh, at the beginning of the season. So you just never know what you're going to get. Um, UCF started off this game great. They had 14 points in the first quarter. I believe they were up 17-7 to at some point, but Georgia Tech made a big comeback. And then you had the two most boring games of bowl season, which if you watched any of these, if you watched three of these four teams throughout the season, that's about what you expected. Troy lost to Duke 17 to 10. Uh, Duke without Riley Leonard still playing well. Uh, there's that. The reason I didn't pick Duke is because they didn't have their coach and they didn't have their quarterback in the bowl game, which is typically a recipe for disaster, especially going against an 11 win team. But Troy also missing their coach and didn't come out with quite enough fire early in the game. Uh, Duke was just able to slow things down. They were up 14 to nothing at the half, and that just was too much of a lead for Troy to overcome. Then you had Northwestern and Utah, who really just didn't remember how to play offense at all in this game. Uh, that was common for them throughout the season, frankly. But, you know, if you had told me at the beginning of the year, which a lot of people have mentioned this, that Northwestern would be 8-5 and five and have a bowl win over Utah, uh, who also finishes the season at 8-5, and five, and and you told me that Utah, by the way, would end 8-5. and five. I just would tell you there's no way. Um, I guess had you told me Kim Rising was going out uh, and wouldn't be playing, I probably wouldn't have had Utah being in the Pac-12 championship game, which I think is maybe what I had on my predictions. I don't know if I actually did or not. I think I might have had USC and Washington. But anyway, I, I wouldn't have had Utah being a 10-win team knowing that Cam Rising was going to be out all year long. But even, even, even since then, I still thought their defense would be good enough to get this team to maybe 9 wins. Um, or maybe, you know, 10th win in the bowl game. But they did not have a great season. Northwestern, on the other hand, rebounding from a 1-11 year to get to 8-5, and five, just a really, really strong turnaround. And David Braun should easily have won Coach of the Year for every single one of those Coach of the Year awards. Um, and maybe he should have been Time Sports Person of the Year because he actually got a real significant bowl, uh, A, a significant bowl win, and B, he got a significant win upgrade. Instead of going from 1-4 to four wins, he went from 1-8. to eight. I don't, I don't know how that isn't worthy of Time Sports Person of the Year if, uh, if a win upgrade from 1-11 to 4-8 and eight was, but apparently it wasn't enough. Um, then you have Northern Illinois who beat Arkansas State, like I said earlier, 21-19. Uh, that was my upset pick. Uh, no scoring in the second half for Northern Illinois and just one touchdown from Arkansas State with a failed two-point conversion and then a missed onside kick after an offsides penalty on an onside kick. Uh, then you have Air Force who beat James Madison 31-21. Uh, JMU had a great season. They proved why they should have been in a bowl game. They definitely got a tough matchup here, but they probably would have beaten at least half of the bowl game teams. Air Force just probably in the top half of those teams. 
Um, so not getting the win there if you're JMU, but they had a great season and they proved why they should have been allowed in in the first place, just like Jacksonville State did with their victory. Then you had Georgia State, who put up the most points they put up in any game this season, playing Utah State, uh, and they won 45-22. to And then you get to the really not-close game at all, uh, South Alabama, who was favored by 17 in this game. I've never seen a bowl game line like that, uh, but not a pick you could get wrong. But South Alabama ended up winning 59-10. to Not only were they playing um, in a game where they were heavily favored, they were playing in their home stadium. So it's re- this matchup was just not fair. I don't know how they came up with that. Um, but yeah, wasn't close, wasn't supposed to be close, and uh, it was even less close than it originally was supposed to be. And South Alabama didn't even score in the fourth quarter, and they already had 59 points. And then finally, you have Coastal Carolina, who beat San Jose State 24-14. San Jose State uh, just didn't score for the first three quarters, and that kind of... You know, that's come to bite, come back to bite a bunch of teams in bowl season, just starting off way too slow um, and not doing anything until the fourth quarter. Okay, well, now that we've looked at some of the early bowl games, um, let's look ahead to the two most significant bowl games that are coming up on January 1st before our next podcast. Those are the college football playoff semifinals with Michigan facing Alabama in the Rose Bowl um, and then Washington and Texas down in the Sugar Bowl. Patrick, what are your thoughts on those games? Well, I'm just going to give my quick uh, score prediction for each one, talk about them a little bit. But uh, I do have I have Michigan and I have Washington. Um, the reason why I have Michigan is just because I, I believe that they're the best team in the country all year long. I think I went to, I think I put um, Georgia back at number one maybe for like a week or two near the end of the season. But I had believed it was Michigan in the first place. Um, I, I made that move pretty early in the season and I was consistent about it until... Michigan kind of hit that rough patch where they were in those close games with Maryland while Georgia was kind of dominating teams. But then things swung back in Michigan's favor, and as a result, I have Michigan beating Alabama 27-24. to um, I think both teams are going to try to run the ball a lot more than they should, um, just because I really do think that if you're talking about Nick Saban and Jim Harbaugh, you're talking about two guys that just have enough old-school football in them that they will try to establish the run no matter what and no matter who they're playing, whether it's a good idea or not. Um, and I think that'll really slow down the scoring in the game, but I think things will open up eventually and you'll see a lot of quarterbacks running a lot of read options. Um, and a lot, I actually don't really think that much trickery, but a lot of just a lot of formations that are pretty spaced out around the field. Um, and I think that Michigan will probably throw the ball more than people expect, but at the beginning of the game, I think both teams will keep it on the ground a lot. And then in this other game, I just expect Washington to do exactly what they did last year against Texas in the sugar bowl. They have better players um, in terms of one-on-ones with skill positions, and I think they're just going to exploit that. There's no reason for them to try to win the ground game. They might have the Joe Moore Award offensive line, um, but I, I just think that Texas is too good in the trenches, and I think that Washington knows that, and I think they'll try to win on the outside. They will run the ball, but they're not going to run between the tackles because that's where Texas' strength lies. They will instead be running on the outside, some quick screens as well, and I think that Washington will be able to beat Texas. I have them winning 33-31. to um, but I do know that Texas has been a very, very popular pick. I'm just not ready to believe um, as much as other people are that they are back, although I think they can declare that now that they've made the playoff. Um, but Washington, I think, has been really, really underrated all season long, and I think if you give them the underdog mentality with how much talent they have, I think they're just going to win the game just because they just, they're just going to be way too motivated, and they're too talented already to give them extra motivation. All right, well, I'm, of course, going to go with Michigan, um, our extreme bias here. I would feel a lot more confident in my pick if Michigan, if Zach Zinter hadn't been hurt. I would think that Michigan could just stick to that ground game plan and eventually uh, wear down Alabama in the fourth quarter. Uh, people 
don't know how powerful that Michigan running attack has been. But without Zinter, it's, it's, it, that's a big, big uh, loss for the Wolverines, their number one offensive lineman. Um, I agree with you about uh, basically how the game's going to go. And I'm going to go with Michigan in a squeaker 28-27, just win by one point. Uh, moving over to the Sugar Bowl, I'm going to go with Texas. Um, I think Washington really played their best game of the year against Oregon. Sometimes it's hard to do that two games in a row. I just have a feeling Texas is somehow going to come up, come up with a way to win this game. Then again, um, I don't know the injury status of Xavier Worthy, so that could have a huge impact on the game. And Quinn um, Ewers is also banged up, too. Yeah, that's true. But, and they um, don't have a backup now because Malik Murphy's in the transfer portal, which is actually part of the reason why I ended up picking Washington that I should have mentioned. But. And I would love to be wrong uh, and see either way. I'd love to see Michigan-Washington. I'd love to see Michigan-Texas, not just because Michigan's in it, but uh, either way, old-fashioned, Big Ten, Pac-12, last-time matchup for the national championship, rematch of a bowl, rematch of a national championship bowl game for Washington, Rose Bowl, or Michigan-Texas, one of the best games I've ever seen in person, a rematch of that Rose Bowl game of 2005. And then they play each other next year as long as Michigan, actually any any matchup, Michigan if Michigan wins, teams. then Michigan will play the a national championship rematch next year, which is uh, thanks to realignment. But... Michigan at Washington and Texas at Ann Arbor. So um, that's all I've got to say about the college football playoff. Let's move on to the NBA and let's talk about the most impressive teams of last week. Well, I will start with the Memphis Grizzlies. Yes, they're on here. Well, they're the worst team that went 3-0 this week, so that's why they're here. Uh, they beat Atlanta, they beat Indiana, and they beat New Orleans. Uh, Jaw came back from his suspension, and he has already turned this team completely around. If they had just stayed afloat with him out, and I talked about this a thousand times, they would make the playoffs playing at the level they are playing at right now. But instead, they're going to need a lot of help because even after winning three in a row, they're still 9-19 and through almost 40% of the season, 10 games under five hundred almost at the halfway mark, is just really, really hard to dig yourself out of, especially with how competitive the West is. Uh, it's not impossible, but they would really, really, really need to play at like a 70 or, or 65% winning percentage for the rest of the season, and I just don't think that even with John Morant, that's doable. I just think, you know, this is a small sample size. They played Atlanta, they played Indiana, who's kind of reeling um, for a little bit, and they, their win against New Orleans was definitely impressive, but... You know, they play them again tonight. If they beat them again tonight, maybe I'll start to change my opinion on this. Um, but once they start playing better teams, once they p start playing a harder schedule, uh, and he's there, I, I don't think the Grizzlies are some juggernaut of a team that's just going to go undefeated through the rest of the season, obviously. So I, I think that once once they hit a rough patch or two, and they're still not fully healthy also, um, once they hit a rough patch, things will start to not necessarily go downhill, but just level off a little bit, and it might be just too much to overcome, but... Nonetheless, it has been really, really impressive watching Ja be back and watching this team pretty much just come back to life um, since he's been back. Then you have the Nuggets. They're the opposite of the Grizzlies. You know, everybody doubts them just because they're 18 and 12, which is still a good record. Um, but, you know, everybody kind of forgot about them. and They lost a little bit of steam, but they've taken it to the next level. They started out with three straight losses in early December. But since then, they've won eight of their last nine games, with the only loss being a one-point loss to OKC, where they also had a 10-point lead in the fourth quarter. Um, and also, OKC is third in the West. That's really not a loss to sweat that much. So the defending champs, they're really, really starting to play like the team we all know they can be uh, this week. That included wins over Toronto, Brooklyn, Charlotte, and Golden State. Not exactly amazing competition. Even Golden State, frankly, has been kind of off this year. But Look, the Nuggets deserve the credit because they are the defending champs and because they keep doing their thing no matter what is thrown their way. Then you have the Heat. They went 3-0 this week. They beat Orlando, Atlanta, and Philly. 
The Heat did not have to play against Joel Embiid when they took on the Sixers, but they also didn't have Jimmy Butler, who didn't play in any of these three games this week. Um, Jaime Jaquez would be a dark horse Rookie of the Year candidate if this was a year without two generational prospects with one of them that actually hadn't played last year um, without Wembenyama and without Chet Holmgren. Uh, but unfortunately for them, he'll probably end up in third place even if he keeps up the production from the great season he's had so far just because of the fact that those two are in the race um, and they are there to steal the votes from him. And not only steal the votes from him, but it's not stealing votes. They've had great seasons and they're definitely going to deserve all the votes that they get. Um, you know, just unfortunate though for Jaime that he can't get, he probably won't get as many votes um, and as respect as he would normally would in a regular season because he pretty much has the numbers that most rookie of the year kind of second place or like hard fought uh, first place end up having by the end of the year um, with some room to improve as well as he kind of just broke into really having significant minutes in the rotation. Um, but then last team for this list, the Warriors, they went three and one this week. Uh, they beat Boston, Washington, and Portland, and then they lost to Denver on Christmas, even though they have been without Draymond Green, and, you know, we don't know how long that suspension's going to last. Um, they haven't had as bad of a time as people assumed they would without Draymond, um, and for the next few weeks, you know, they're going to have to keep rebounding from that situation and keep playing well if they want to um, advance and have a good season. They shouldn't get too much credit for beating uh, Washington and Portland, obviously, but their win over Boston in overtime was a really great win to pick up. Uh, and their close game with Denver on Christmas show this te- shows this team still has a lot of fight left in it. And, you know, Steph Curry doing his thing as well in that game against Boston. Always impressive to see. But look, the Golden State Warriors, they still have a good enough roster to compete. It's just a matter of can they stay afloat, just like the Grizzlies, can they stay afloat until their guy gets back from a suspension? Um, can the Warriors stay afloat long enough that Draymond can give them that extra boost to kind of avoid the play-in? Um, and make the playoffs cleanly, I think they'll probably end up a play-in team, and we'll just have to see what happens when they get to the playoffs. But for now, the Warriors just trying to stay afloat. All right, well, let's move to the least impressive teams of the last week in the NBA. Well, the Suns, they are trying to stay afloat, but they don't really have a reason to stay afloat because they do have Devin Booker and Kevin Durant. Yes, Bradley Beal has only joined those two for 24 minutes this season in total um, in terms of them playing as a big three. But look... They lost to Portland, they lost to Sacramento, they lost to Dallas on Christmas. People question the Suns as a contender mainly because of depth and defensive issues, but Phoenix hasn't even been good in the one area they were supposed to shine in, which is on offense. Everybody just assumed that Kevin Durant, Devin Booker, Bradley Beal, that's a team that you just can't stop offensively, but they're 16th in the league in in points per game and offensive rating, and they're 19th in net rating, so no, their defense isn't helping their offense at all, their defense isn't that good. Um, but their offense is also middle of the pack. The funny thing is, if you actually look at them in the standings, uh, they have the exact same amount of points per game and points allowed per game. They're just the definition of average, um, and that's not something that you should have when you have a big three of Kevin Durant, Bradley Beal, um, and Devin and Devin Booker. But look, things are just not going well for them, um, and they're also now starting to pick up losses against bottom-feeding teams, which is really, really not a good sign. Um, and things are just kind of falling apart there, as you know, there have been some other reports that Kevin Durant is not exactly happy with that situation uh, either, and I wouldn't be if I were him myself. Uh, But then you have the Raptors. They went 0-3, lost to Denver, Philly, and Utah. They lost Fred Van Vliet, and while they were not supposed to be, you know, a serious contender at the top of the Eastern Conference, I've still been kind of disappointed in in Toronto this season. They should just be more competitive than they are. Um, But maybe one reason to be happy that they're playing poorly is that they, if if they're out of things by the deadline, it could be a really, really interesting um, trade deadline where you, you never know if Pascal Siakam might be moved. OG Ananobi's going to be a huge target. He's been on 
trade target list for years now. Um, so you never know what's going to happen with that, but it looks like the Raptors might be heading in that direction, especially if they can't turn things around soon. And speaking of not turning things around soon, the Pistons got their losing streak to 26 games this week. Uh, there's nothing positive to say about them ever, but this week, many people thought there might have been one. Uh, they were actually favored to win a game against the Jazz, where Utah had four of their top seven scorers out, but of course, even with those circumstances, the Pistons still were not able to pull off that victory. Um, all I have to say is we are truly witnessing one of the worst teams in NBA history. I just had to throw them on here one last time, just because uh, they, the losing streak might be ending soon. It's just getting too long at this point. It, they just have to pull out a win at some point. It's just It just doesn't make numerical sense at this point. Um, so I'm expecting them to win soon. And because of that fact, and because I haven't mentioned them just because they've been so much worse than everybody else, that it's not about being not impressive. They're just bad. I figured I had to throw them on here one more time. And then you have the Lakers. They went one and three this week. They lost to the Knicks, the Spurs and Dallas, um, with a win. Actually, that's not right. They lost to the Knicks. They lost to, um, Boston as well. Um, but look, the Lakers went one and three for the second straight week. Uh, they did beat the Thunder, but that's just, it's just not enough. They also lost to Minnesota, but it's just not enough, especially in a week where both AD and LeBron had 40 plus points in separate games. Uh, they've been a lot of, they've been inviting a lot of questions about their viability as a contender um, who can actually beat top teams in the league outside of their performance in the in-season tournament. But other than that moment, this team just has not looked very well put together all year long. Okay, let's stay on basketball, but turn our attention to college basketball, our final topic of the day with a look at some important results in early season contests. Well, we finally reached the most wonderful time of the year. Everybody calls that Christmas. I call it the Big East Conference season, and it started off on fire. Providence beat number six Marquette, 72-57. to 57. Um, It's hard to win at Providence, even, on, even with a Providence team that's maybe a borderline tournament team, but it's also looking like this might not be a borderline tournament team. This might be a real, a real solid, you know, potentially top 25 type team. Um, that just has flown under people's radars this year. Then you have number 23, Memphis, who beat number 22, Virginia, 77 to 54. Um, I very intentionally made a shift in my own personal top 25 rankings into my uh, bracket to put Memphis one spot above Virginia heading into this week because I knew that they were going to win this game. Uh, they have similar resumes already, but now Memphis has this win on there. At no point in the year, unless these teams take drastically different turns, no matter how many wins Virginia can pick up in the ACC, if Memphis only loses two or three games in the American, the committee cannot put Virginia over Memphis. I know this is way too early to talk about it, but you cannot beat a team by 25 and not be better than them. I just don't believe that. Memphis just looked way better than Virginia in all aspects of the game. Uh, but moving on from that, Arizona, number four team in the country, beat Alabama 87-74. to uh, All those were actually on the same night, a pretty good night of college basketball that night. And then you have Seton Hall. Who beat number five, UConn, 75 to 60? Another upset in the Big East. All the big three in the Big East actually lost. Um, I guess I should skip over to that one then right now. Villanova beat number 12, Creighton, 68 to 66 in overtime, which was another huge upset. The one difference with this game is that this game for Creighton was at home. Uh, Marquette and UConn at least lost on the road. UConn even lost Donovan Klingon in this game to an injury, so they have more excuses than anybody else. But Creighton had no excuse to lose this game at home. I mean, there's just no reason... Frankly, Villanova actually was the one with an injury. Justin Moore, Villanova, arguably Villanova's best player, was out in this game, and yet they still went on the road and beat Creighton. So just not a good look, honestly, for the Blue Jays at all. Um, but I'll go back to some of the other action. Number 11, North Carolina beat number 7, Oklahoma, 81-69. That was Oklahoma's first loss of the year. 
Um, they've still looked really good. I still believe this team is easily a top 15 team. Uh, number 21, Duke beat number 10, Baylor, 78-70. Baylor starting to fall a little bit um, out of grace, but Duke starting to look like the preseason Duke they were supposed to be. Uh, they might finally get back into my personal top 25. Maybe there's a chance that with three losses, they're there. I think they definitely are now that they have some quality wins as well. Uh, but then you have number 13, Illinois, who beat Missouri 97 to 73. I talked about that one on my weekend predictions. Uh, Nevada beat TCU 88 to 75. I mentioned this one because it was in the Diamond Head Classic and Nevada is really flying under the radar. They shouldn't be. They're 12 and 1 on the season now and I'll talk about how they got there in a second. Um, TCU also another team with only one loss. That loss was to Clemson. So that's a really good team as well. Um, that's a really good win for Nevada to pick up. Um, so a good win for Nevada. They're in a good conference. Um, the Mountain West honestly has an argument that it could be better than the Big Ten this season. They both have 55 teams in the top 50 of the net. Uh, about the same, honestly, average rating of the teams in the conference. Definitely the bottom of those conferences is a little bit different. And the Big Ten has more teams in terms of quantity in the depth conversation. But in terms of overall level, I, you could argue that across the board, the Mountain West is better, and I wouldn't really complain that much about it. But Purdue and Illinois definitely holding up the top end of the Big Ten just a little bit, just enough to kind of keep them ahead in that conversation. But it's a closer one than people think it is. Um, and then you have Maryland, speaking of the Big Ten, who beat UCLA 69-60. This game wasn't really relevant nationally for a lot of people. But look, Maryland has now won four straight games after a really bad start to the season when they were 4-4. Four and four. And UCLA has four straight losses to get to five and six this year. Considering how tight the Pac-12 is and considering how not good the Pac-12 is, I think UCLA might have already eliminated itself from the tournament contention. They would have to pretty much run the table in the Pac-12. And I don't think they're good enough to do that, but their conference just isn't good in the first place. Um, and then, you know, I just don't see them winning those games um, in the first place. But then you have number 14 FAU who beat number four Arizona 96 to 95 in double overtime. Talked about that game already as well. Um, number five, UConn beat St. John's 69-65. St. John's a team that started the season uh, near the rankings, but not in the rankings. And they've kind of fallen out of people's grace since then, but I really think they're starting to play uh, better. And UConn barely scraping by without without Donovan Klingon in their first game, uh, adapting to that. Then you have Providence who beat Butler. I talked about that one. And Mississippi State who beat Rutgers, and I talked about that one as well. And finally, you have Nevada, who beat Georgia Tech 72-64 to win the Diamond Head Classic. Just had to mention it because it was the only, uh, the last middle-of-the-season tournament, uh, exhibition tournament that happened in Nevada. There's a lot of credit for what they've done in the non-conference so far. Okay, well, that wraps up our look back at college basketball. It also wraps this edition of the 4th and 24 podcast. Please be sure to check out our next podcast, which will be on Tuesday, January 2nd, where we will once again look back at Patrick's weekend predictions, review NFL Week 17 action, continue our review of college football bowl season, including those college football semifinals we spoke about, have another review of the NBA season and the college basketball season. In the meantime, please be sure to check out Patrick's additional content, including his predictions for every college football bowl game, his NCAA basketball tournament bracket that will be updated and posted tomorrow, and his picks for next weekend's games that will be posted always, as always on Thursdays. All of that content on our website, 4thand24.com. That's the number four, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you for listening.